This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. And you're very welcome back to Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108 with me, Susan Cahill. If you want to get in touch with the show, why don't you send me an email at talkingbooks at newstalk.ie or if you want some more information on what you've been listening to or if you've missed any of our shows to date, why don't you check out our programme page at www.newstalk.ie forward slash talkingbooks. Well, the Borgosh Energy Book Awards were on earlier in the week and I have to say the shortlist this year was hugely competitive and really, really interesting. And just to give you a roundup of who won what on the night, the Sunday Independent Newcomer of the Year Award went to Neve Boyce and her really interesting book, The Herbalist. The Writing.ie Short Story of the Year Book Award went to The Things We Lose, The Things We Leave Behind by Cork's Billy O'Callaghan. And the Board Gas Energy Bookshop of the Year went to the Clifton Bookshop in County Galway. The Eason's Novel of the Year went to The Guts by Roddy Doyle. And it was great to see John Vanville scoop the Bob Hughes Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, one of the most deserving winners I thought on the night was was Michael Harding for his stunningly emotional and fantastic memoir, Staring at Lakes. Well, you might remember Talking Books met with Michael Harding down at the lovely West Cork Writers Festival earlier in the summer. I have to say, Michael was such a gent to interview. He was great fun, really, really lively, and his stories would just have you screaming laughing. So what we've decided to do is replay you his lovely interview. Michael began the interview with a reading from his memoir, Staring at lakes. Let's take a listen. All of a sudden, I realised why I had come and why I had clung to religion for so long. It was fear, and it is fear. The dread inside that some disaster might befall me or if I did not cling to something. The fear of death that lies at the root of all depression. And now maybe I was waking up. I was no longer a believer in anything. I was a writer, I was witnessing something and I would tell the tale. It was a poor village. They had nothing. Their animals were starving. The coming winter would bring famine. Entire families would lie with yaks and horses and die in the snow. Perhaps these same boy monks, whose unlimited hope we were sharing, would not last the winter. Already there was little to eat. In the tent after the ceremony, we had a thin noodle soup without meat. The seven little monks stood around the door, wolfing down lumps of bread. They were shy of the great llama, and the breeze was blowing in the gale. In the distance I saw a woman walking towards us. Because of the wind and sand, she was sometimes invisible, as the wind blew dust and sand in a swirl around her. She wore a long blue skirt and carried a bucket of yoghurt with one hand and a cloth of cheese cords over her shoulder with the others. When the boys at the door saw her, they were amazed. A banquet was coming. They were in paradise. Later that day we folded up the tents and the sleeping bags and took a last look at Hovskull Lake in Mongolia. The jeeps were humming, but before I got in I took a moment alone at the water's edge and promised myself I would return some day. How dominant a factor has fear been in your life, Michael? And how critical has it been as a force to drive your writing? I think that it is what drives me, is fear. 
but I think it's what drives everybody. I think it's the human condition to be afraid. You know, we tell ourselves all the time, don't be afraid. We cuddle ourselves as children. We reassure ourselves in middle age. We try everything to eradicate the anxiety. And we never even think of what the anxiety is. And really, the anxiety is just the anxiety about being mortal and thinking that in this huge cosmos, in this moment, we may be alone. And that's really, really the most scary thing. And I think that's underneath the way everybody behaves unconsciously. And so when you begin to write, you try and scratch that. You try and open up the sort of wound that's inside you. And you try and share that wound through stories that connect with other people. So in that sense, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of teachers. I was afraid of failing in the leave insert. I was afraid that I wouldn't be a success with women. I was afraid of everything. Now I'm afraid of other stuff, you know what I mean? That my children mightn't love me or something. So fear really drives us. And what drives me as a writer is scratching it, uncovering it exposing it and telling stories about it. And your new memoir, recently published, is an unbelievably courageous and raw read. It's so human, is so honest. And I'm wondering, as a writer, how difficult is it to actually put yourself on the page and expose yourself for all your fragilities, all your weaknesses, all your petty concerns and all your great fears? For me, it's not difficult, Okay. For other writers, maybe they don't do it at all. I mean, there are loads of writers who hide themselves, who never want to really reveal what they really feel. They tell you about their characters. What I feel is that the art of memoir, you know, from Proust to people like Garcia Marquez, is suitable for the age we live in. Because we seem to be at an end game, you know, from, from the kind of world war and Auschwitz and the level of darkness that entered the human species through Hitler and all that stuff, we seem in some sense to be playing out an end game. Now, maybe there'll be a new phase, a new resurrection, a new imagination of human species. But at the moment, it seems to me that it's urgent to tell who you are. You know, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? If, if you're sort of kidnapped 